0: Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah 32. We're going to start in verse 39. It says, And I will give them one heart and one purpose, to worship me forever, for their own good, and for the good of their descendants. All their descendants. Excuse me. And I will make them an everlasting covenant. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me. And they will never leave me. And I will find joy in doing good for them. And will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. Can you imagine what happens when God does something faithfully and wholeheartedly? If God is so excited about this, what is the one thing that is, this scripture is talking about? What I see is I will give them one heart and one purpose. And what is that one thing? To worship. To worship. Say, I will give them one heart, one purpose to worship me forever what god says why because it's for your own good and it's for the good of all your descendants after you oh if we could get a hold of how important your worship is because god's heart and desire is to do you good all the days of your life and bring you into the land that he has promised you and your part is to have that heart that one purpose I want to worship God. And he's put that desire. Who put that desire in there? He did. He did. You know, it's it's wired into the heart of man to worship. You can't get away from it. You find some tribe in Africa that's never seen, you know, modern civilization somewhere, and they're worshiping something. You're worshiping something. Here in America, people worship money. They worship power. They worship, I got to have a certain car. I got to have a BMW. I got to have. This. And th- their whole focus, all of them, is after that one thing. But Jesus came and he showed us what that one thing should be and how we should do it. You remember the clip I showed last week of Jesus at the well? Well, uh,. Let me show us a shorter clip. I I cut it down just a little bit. But let's see what Jesus is talking about. See if he's trying to show us about that one thing. Amen? Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. Everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> spirit and truth. Just about the heart. The one thing, your one purpose. It's condensed into one thing your worship and spirit and truth. We could stop there and do a series on spirit and truth what is spirit and truth and we could break it down but I think something in the essence of who you are just knows already spirit and truth in heart and mind in in your meditations in your actions it just feels like it's all of me all of me for all of him Today's message I'm going to entitle it The Grand Exchange <laughs> What if you could give yourself away What if you could In exchange for something so much more Can you outgive God <laughs> You know last week we talked about Hagar Who had Ishmael You remember that story And Abram and Sarai, they were trying to believe God. He had told them that they were going to have as many descendants as the sand on the seashore and as many as the stars of heaven. And they were trying to work up the the faith to believe that. You understand, they, they were old. And they had lived their whole life without any children. I mean, that was ingrained in them. You know, there's a lot of things ingrained in you that life has beat you down with. It makes it hard for you to believe. So they were trying to to believe God and they said, well, let's just get Hagar and we'll, we'll make this happen. How many of you know that you try to make it happen? You try to bring, we try to do it in our own strength to bring the promises of God to bear, but we can't. We've tried to make this church what God wants, but we can't. It's through faith. That you receive the promises. You remember? Through faith. We can't make it happen. What did Jesus say? He said, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? This. That you believe. On the Son of God. In the name of Jesus. That you believe. See, that's... Our part is believers. We're not the achievers, we're the believers. God brings the things to pass. But we got to believe. And I don't want to get off track today and get over on faith, but faith is a part of everything we do as believers. Well, anyway, you know, they had Ishmael, but that was not the one that God promised. And some many years later, when Abraham, they God finally changed his name to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. Abraham means the father of many nations. I can't remember what Sarah means, but something along those lines. Huh? Princess, who would know better than Sarah? Little princess. So the father of many nations and the princess, they walk with God, they believe God for so long, they finally obtain the promise through faith. And they give birth to them child of promise that God had for them, Isaac. Wow. I mean, I guess, you know, he's a hundred years old. Abraham had Isaac at a hundred years old. Sarah was 91 years old. Can you imagine? It took them that long to believe. But you know, you just get to a point where you see it over and over, God's faithfulness. He will do what he says if you'll reach it and grab hold of it by faith. And they just got to the place. It don't matter about the deadness of Sarah's womb. It don't matter that I'm an old man. We're going to make this happen. God's going to make this happen. And he did. And they had a child named Abraham. I mean, uh, Isaac. <clears throat> and then it, God says, Abraham, take this new child of yours. Well, about, this is like 15 years later. Isaac's about 15. He says, take this child that you love and go to a mountain that I will show you and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. What would you say? <laughs> well, hey, that's not the part of the plan here. No, I, I'm not doing that. But Abraham had walked with God for so long and seen so much. He said, you know, if you walk so closely with God, you get to the point where if he says it, do it. Like Mary said about Jesus, whatever he says, do it. Abraham had got to that place; he didn't even question it. How many of you would have stayed up all night pleading with God, "Please don't do this, God! God, this ain't right!" Because in our own natural thinking, we think we've got everything figured out. And when I would have stayed up all night. I, I, I would have. I'm not. To, I'm not a hundred yet. I'm not to that place yet. Pleading for my son, God, please don't make me take a knife to my son. But it says Abraham woke up early the next morning. That means he went to bed. (laughs) He slept. And not only did he sleep, he got up early to take care of what God asked him to do. He loaded the wood on the donkey, got a couple of servants. He got the coals for the fire. He got a knife. He said, we're going to go. He got Isaac. They took off a three-day journey. They get to the foot of the mountain. And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, it says, Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further, and we will worship there. Say worship. That don't sound like worship to me. That don't sound like no worship I ever heard of. You want me to stab my boy for worship? That don't make sense to me. But he, then he says, and then we will come right back. His faith kicked in. Because you see, that that promise that God had made him was firm in his heart now. He knew that even if he had to kill Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead if he had to. Because he was the one through the, the promises were going to be brought into bear. He knew, he believed that even God would raise him from the dead if he had to. Because he says, me and the boy will be back. And he knew what he was going to do. Incredible amount of faith. They walk up the hill and Isaac says, dad, I see the wood and the charcoal for the fire. But where's the offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself an offering. Wow, another statement of faith. They get there, and he builds an altar on top of the mountain, puts the wood on it, ties up Isaac, which I don't know how he was able to do that. The boy is over 15, and Abraham was like 115. But he puts him on the wood. I guess Isaac was willing. He pulls out the knife without hesitation, and it's almost on the way down when God from heaven says, Abraham! Abraham and he stops him he says do the boy no harm i see now that you've trust me with your whole heart and at that same moment there was a ram caught in the thicket and so abraham sacrificed the ram of course we can see in hindsight that that ram represented the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Incredible story of faith. But he called it worship. You know, in the Old Testament, they almost always brought a sacrifice to the temple before they worshipped. They didn't come before the King of Kings empty-handed. They came bearing gifts, bearing a sacrifice. Can you outgive God? Who gets the better deal in any exchange with God? God said, will you give me your son? Abram says, here he is. God says, wait. Because you were willing to give me your son, I'll give you my son. You see, you understand it was through that obedience and through that faith that God was able to bring his son into the world and sacrifice him. That's why he's called the father of the faith. And that's why we're heirs according to the faith of Abraham. And that's why his descendants are as many as the sands on the seashore. All who believe by faith are descendants of Abraham. You can't outgive God. You try to give Him your son. He says, no, let me give you my son. David said, I'll not offer God something that costs me nothing. Man, our worship is so cheap today, isn't it? Play me a song. If I like it, I might I might sing along. If you know it's just 20 minutes of my week, you know. That's what we consider worship today is the is the song service at a church. It's cheap. We don't bring nothing. We don't offer anything. It's like, what can you do for me, God? David danced before the Ark of the Covenant. He loved God so much, he danced himself out of his clothes. And his wife, Michael, looked down. She says, "Mm, mm, mm." Boy, how undignified. What did that dance cost David? His dignity. She said, you just look like a common person. You're not not acting like a king. He said, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to be even more undignified. You see, David had learned that I'd rather be sanctified than dignified. Have you learned that? Sanctified means set apart for the Lord. I don't care what I look like. What must God be thinking up in heaven when he looks down during worship and some people are pouring their hearts out to the Lord and other people are sitting back saying, Huh, that looks undignified. Do you want to be the Michael in this story? Do you really want to judge somebody else's worship? You need to judge yourself. Why aren't you pouring out your heart? Why aren't you dancing out of your clothes before the Lord? Now don't do that, really, in here. <laughs> but you—you you got a choice. You're going to be sanctified, or you're going to be dignified. Because dignified means look at me. It's about me. And David said, "You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to become even more undignified." And and probably the most classic example of worship that we have in the new testament is when the woman with the alabaster box came and cried over jesus's feet and wiped him his feet with her hair and kissed his feet and and broke open that expensive box of perfume and poured it out over him what did it cost her she could have went to jail for being in the pharisee's house in the first place she wasn't welcome there it cost her her dignity they were all talking about her She knew all that going in. Cost her a year's wages for that expensive bottle of perfume. But let me ask you, was it worth it? Would it have been worth it to you? Jesus thought it was worth it. He said, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, we're going to talk about what this woman has done. How she was willing to lay it all down. Miss Lois, there was a, an old widow that has come to mind that gave her two mites in the offering. Jesus said she gave more than all of you. Miss Lois was talking to me this morning about her tithes and offerings and how, how to do it. It's a grand exchange. Everything in the Word of God, and if you look back in your history, everything that you've been through points to the fact that you can't outgive God. Everything that you've given Him has been multiplied, pressed down, shaken together, and running over and as it comes back to you. Don't shout me down just because I'm preaching real good. <laughs> so, what do you bring to the altar when you worship? You say, here I am, Lord, all of me, for all of you. Exodus 34, 14, God says, you must worship no other gods. For the Lord, whose very name is jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. He's not sharing you with anybody else. And he's not pleased with just a bunch of leftovers, extras that we got laying around and our dignified displays of worship Romans chapter 12 verse 1 let's turn there you know there's people call different things worship you know uh, modern day we, we look at the song services that's when we worship right Um, That is a form of worship. That is an intense time of worship, indeed. But Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. See, it's much more than a song. It's much more than a little attention that you give God. Maybe a word of thanks, or a shout of praise. It's more than that. Here it says, in view of God's mercy. If you just stop and think about where you'd be right now with, without Jesus in your life. If you just stop and take a moment to think about where you would be headed right now if you were to die without Jesus in your life. In view of his mercy. In other words, because of all he has done for you. All he has brought you through, protected you from. Who he is in your life, in view of that. Offer your bodies. And I don't really think he's just talking about this flesh. He's not interested so much in this flesh suit. He means the body of who you are, the totality Of your personhood. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Thank goodness he didn't say a burnt sacrifice. Or a dead sacrifice. You see, the sacrifices and the blood being spilt has already been done. Now, the sacrifice he's after is not someone who who will necessarily die for him, though he may ask that of you in the future. But right now he's asking you to be a living sacrifice, praise God. That you live a life that is in sacrificial love towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That you present your body holy and blameless as a testimony to what He can do in a life. This is your true and proper worship and it's pleasing to God. I love the way the message translation, the paraphrase says, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That means you're worshiping God on Monday morning and again on Tuesday morning. Before you go to sleep, why are you sleeping? 24-7. I belong to God. We've got to stop seeing things as my my Christian life and, and my secular life. We gotta stop seeing Sunday is the day I give God. He gave you all the days. (laughs) He don't just say I love you on Sunday. We gotta begin to see our whole life as an opportunity to worship God. All of me, God. And then I get all of you. You know, that's what a blood covenant is, you understand? It says that everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. And you don't enter into a blood covenant lightly. But when you said, yes, Lord, to Jesus, you entered into a blood covenant. And now everything God has is yours if you're willing to give everything to Him. Just like Abraham was willing to give his son, God was willing to give His son. To the measure you were willing to get, to, to descend, to, to give up, is to the measure to will that God is willing to raise you up. <clears throat> I'm just preaching myself happy because this is possible for all of us. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus's blood grants us that. Access that we now have to the throne of God. Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. As his body was rent, so was the curtain that kept us out in the lobby. The curtain was rent as his body was rent, and we can step on in into that most holy place unhindered at any time Hebrews 4:16 says let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious god there we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time that we need it most any time any time Paul and Silas came to him in the midnight hour. Are you listening to me? His hours of operation are unlimited. He don't sleep or slumber. You come any time to the throne of grace. And here we are just waiting till Sunday. Then I'm going to give him just a little bit of my excess. But I'm going to worship him. Money. I'm going to worship my job, my boss, my spouse, my kids. I'm going to worship them all week, but I'm going to give God a little bit on Sundays. That's not the way it should be. We wonder why we're wore out and beat down. Because all those things don't bring life the way He brings life. Times of refreshment come from the presence of the Lord. And we can live our lives Refreshed. Refresh me today, God. Fill me today, God. Every day, every day. Say every day. Are you cognizant that God's presence is with you always? I mean, know you not that you are temples of the living God and the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in your mortal bodies? He's with you always. And you're going to walk around and, and be disrespectful and act like you don't even know he's there? Like, I'm not with him. Disregard his voice? drown it out with all the things of this world? You know, God doesn't... He's not into competing with the roar of the flesh and the noise of this world. He came to Jeremiah... Was it Jer- Ezekiel? Which one? He, he, he came to one of them in a still, small voice. And all we need to do is quieten this bl- 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 going on up here and make time. Make time to tune in to the channel that we need to be on and to hear the voice of God speaking within. I, I, I tell people all the time... They say, what do I do? What do I do? You're always looking for somebody else to tell you what to do. You have no need that anybody should teach you. The Holy Ghost lives within you. Come on now. Just quieten this thing down for a minute. Give Him thanks and praise and worship and settle your soul for a minute. And then open an ear. And have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would say to you. There's no problem that He can't solve for you. There's no question He can't answer for you. And He wants to do these things. People don't know what their calling is. They don't know where I'm supposed to go. Make the grand exchange. Just go on. It's who you were created to be. Make the grand exchange. God is love, and God requests, and God requires intimacy. You think you can have love without intimacy? That's kind of hard. You don't spend no time with somebody you don't love them. How much you gonna love somebody you only see them one w- one hour a week on Sunday? I'm telling you, come boldly every day here in the car on your way to work. God says, do it like this in Ephesians five seventeen, He said, don't act thoughtlessly. Don't live thoughtlessly without thinking about what's important in this life. We're talking about the, the main things here. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. What does he say? Don't be drunk with wine because this will ruin your life. Why are you drinking the wine? Why are you drinking the alcohol? Because you're trying to fill a place? Oh, I'll be be merry in my heart if I can drink a little wine. If I can just do a little drugs, it's going to fulfill that place in me. It makes me happy. It's ruining your life. You're acting thoughtlessly. It says don't do that. Instead, God knows you got the place. He's not denying that the place is there, but the place is there for to be filled with Him, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do, you, how do you stir that up? Singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. In other words, with other people. Gather with some other people that want to get drunk on the Holy Ghost. Spend time stirring yourselves up, thinking about the promises of God, and all He's done is grace and His mercy, making music in, to the Lord in your hearts. Don't run your life. Live your life. Live the life that you were called to. And yes, when we come together on Sunday mornings and we have the time of musical worship and everything, that's a Man, that's where it gets intense, intense and intensifies. I mean, if prayer, it says prayer is like one can send a 1,000 to flight, two can send 10,000 to flight. It's exponential. If more than one begin to pray, there's power. And I believe it's the same thing when we all come together and worship corporately. Now, we've always been a praying church. We will always be a praying church. But I'm going to be honest, in the 20-something years that I've been in this church, there have been times that I wonder, are we ever going to be an intimate worshiping church? Are we ever going to stop being so dignified? There's people in here right now who wish I would not pray in this. They want church the way they want it to be. People come to me, they say, Pastor, I, don't, I better not get off here, but I'm going to go just for a brief moment. They say, Pastor, I, want, I don't like it when we do this. I don't like it when this happens. This, this, this. Guess what? This ain't my church. You're coming to the wrong person. I'm just a messenger at the church. This ain't my church. I've had people come try to tell me how I ought to run this church. Say they got better ideas. I say, I'm not running this church. I'm just hearing from God and doing what He says, just like you ought to be. This is God's church. This ain't my church. You come here once or twice a month, don't tithe. Don't do your share, but you got some good ideas, and we're supposed to put you in charge. No, God's in charge. I ain't in charge. Now, if God leads me to say somebody's in error, somebody's doing something they ain't ought to do, then I'll go tell them what God said. But otherwise, I'm not judging people's worship. Don't put me in that place. I will not. Judge someone else's worship. How they express their hearts to God. Please. Please. You know, I tell the... I I try to encourage our praise and worship leaders. I say, you know, don't preach up there. Because I'll preach later. I'll do the preaching. Don't drag people's thoughts back into earthly things. You just keep bringing them to the throne. Keep the focus on Jesus, because during that time of worship, we don't want anything to pull us out of our spirits and back into our head. We don't want to tell them, okay, uh, you know, this week this happened or whatever. That's bringing us back to our head. Just Jesus. Just Jesus. This is an intimate time. Bring them to the throne. And when God is done with them and and we feel that the time is up, then we'll pray and then we'll we'll preach, okay? But there's times and there's seasons and there's things and ways things ought to be done. I wrote this, Worship is the ability to drag your focus from the fallow and the mundane to bring it to bear instead on your oneness with God. To break up those fellow hard hearts, it's it's to get off the surface level stuff because deep is calling unto deep. Do you understand during worship? During worship, if we could but briefly close our minds, sometimes I'm up here thinking about chords. Today I was up here thinking about why is the lights on? You know, no no problem. I mean, it happens. There's there's a million pieces that put a church together. You understand. You can be thinking about them all and never worship God the whole hour and a half you're here. Even on the platform, I'm thinking about chords. I'm thinking about songs, the, the places I gotta sing and the licks I gotta play. Okay, I can't spend the whole time, but I would much rather be out there with you and and just be soaking it up, you know. But I understand there's things going on. People getting up, going to the restroom. That, Light situation, you know, whatever it is bringing to bear on your natural mind. But if you could, but for just a moment, promise God, but at least a moment during these songs that we sing today, I am going to get out of here and get into here. Because I wrote this during worship, if we could briefly close our minds and open our hearts, all things are subject to change. It's where mountains move. It's where problems are solved. It's where purpose and direction is restored. It's where you receive times of refreshing from the Lord. That could happen in a glimpse of His glory, in a moment of time. That could happen to you on Tuesday afternoon. If you would shut down the noise voice of the Lord he's not playing if he says it he'll say it to you whatever it is you need you gotta hear it so that you can believe it is your worship intimate enough to bring to bear a physical response I think it's just natural When I think about how in light of God's mercy, in light of how gracious and good He's been to me, it's like, I can't, why would my hands go up? It's just natural response. (laughs) A shout, (laughs) hallelujah, it just comes out of me. It's a natural, physical response. Bowing down, wanting to come to the altar, wanting to draw closer to this love that I have found. To deny is to suppress. but To let go is to express. Do you understand? It's choosing His majesty over our dignity. Did you hear what I just said? Every Sunday you got a choice. Every day you got a choice. Am I choosing my dignity or His majesty? Can't outgive God. <laughs> when Moses lifted his hands in battle. They were winning. When Moses grew tired and put his hands down. They began to lose. So what did he do? He got Aaron and Hur to help him lift his hands. <laughs> until they won the battle. And that's the way life is. That's why you have a church to help you continue to lift your hands in worship. So that you can continue to win the battle. When you grow weary and the world gets too much for you and you just say, my shoulders are hurting, I'm getting tired, I can't do it no more. Then your brothers and sisters come along and help you lift your hands so that you can win this battle. So that you can overcome this world. And do the things God's called you unto. I was thinking, what if the the President of the United States said, I want to have lunch. But that homeless guy that lives in the tent back there behind the service station, that meth addict, he sent his secret service people, said, the president wants to have lunch with you. The president of the United States now, that would be odd, wouldn't it? That would be preposterous. That somebody in the position of President of the United States would even think, they're even concerned about somebody living in a tent back in the woods back behind the service station that's on drugs that the world has said, no, they ain't never going to change. But the President wants to bless that man. But it's not nearly as ridiculous as if we think about that God wants to do lunch with us. On the righteousness scale, men. Me and that guy behind the gas station, we're, you know, we're on the same level when it comes to how far we are from God. There's not a noticeable difference from heaven. We've all sinned and fallen short. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same tent. Some of us has chose drugs. Some of us alcohol. Some of us pornography. Some of us choose all kind of things that ain't godly. But the creator of the universe wants to do lunch. He's calling you. And and what does it cost that meth addict to do lunch with the president? Oh, they may have to clean him up. He may have to take a shower. They may give him a shave and give him some new clothes to wear. They may require that he get off the drugs while he's meeting with the president. But are these things necessarily bad? Isn't that what needs to happen anyway? It ain't costing him anything. He got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And that, my friends, is the grand exchange.